Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Morning again uh, about majoring on the minors and uh, the prophet that we're going to speak about this morning is Obadiah. Who's ever read the book of Obadiah before? It's a good book. It's an interesting book. Uh, Obadiah was written. We'll give you some of the background. Was written in 586 BC. Uh, was written. Um, one of those things uh, was written to the people that weren't the people of God. It was actually written to another nation. It was a prophetic uh, letter that was written. Uh, there are 12 different Obadiahs in the Bible, and we have no idea which one wrote this book. Just so you know, there's 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 a, a lot of uh, Obadiah was a bit of the John Smith kind of name of the time. Everyone was called Obadiah because Obadiah actually meant worshipper of God, so it was quite a common name. Um, and yet, as we know, in that day and age, names were quite prophetic as well. Uh, and so uh, he was obviously someone who was a worshipper of God. Uh, the challenge with uh, I think going into these prophets is that the prophetic job, by and large, is to bring a challenge or a warning. God rarely sent prophets to say, good job, keep up the good work. Most of the time when God was sending a prophet, he was saying, hey, look, this needs to change, or look out, you're about to get it. Generally, that's what it's saying. So the challenge with, with, uh, with bringing something from the minor prophets is, is, you know, it can be quite confrontational when God is saying to you, this needs to stop or that needs to change or you need to deal with this issue. That can be quite confrontational. Um, so I want to start this morning by telling you how much I love you um, and telling you, how, <laughs> telling you how wonderful I think you all are and you're very good looking and all the rest of it. Um, but, but I pray that this morning as, a, as I bring somewhat of a challenge, it was a challenge to me as I read, it was a challenge to my heart attitude as I read, uh, and I pray in a good way that it'll be a challenge to you this morning, that it'll challenge the way you think, it'll challenge the way you look at the world uh, out of this uh, you know, hundreds of year old book um, that God would be able to bring a challenge to your heart. It is the shortest book in the Old Testament, just so you know. Um, and uh, there are a couple of major themes we could talk about in the book. Uh, the book is really divided into three sections. There's the first section, which is the, uh, uh, the judgment of God, where basically he's bringing that this is what's about to go down and it's not going to be a good day for you. The second section of the book is his justification for that. These are the reasons why you're in the poo. And the third section of the book is his promise to the people of God that restoration is coming. So it's exciting. We could, we could talk about any one of those, those three sections, but it's not really what uh, God laid on my heart this morning. I mean, we could talk for days about the judgment of God and the justification for His actions, blah, blah, blah. But what I really felt was to find, and Tone often speaks about this, is to find the message within the message. To find what's being said behind what's being said. Um, and so I want to challenge you this morning with some thoughts, uh, a little bit of a, a story, and, and we'll just see where we go. Is that cool? Awesome. Let me pray for you. God, I pray this morning as we open your word and as we look within the pages that you would uh, challenge our hearts, open our eyes, open our hearts to see, hear and feel everything that you're doing in the scripture. I pray that we'll be able to take on board the principles that you're, you're bringing to our attention this morning and that we will be challenged and changed as the truth has impact upon our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So the message within the message, I feel like the, the, the cautionary tale for us is to, uh, to, to get inside of this story. So let's, let's set it up a little bit. We've got this nation. It's a nation called the Edomites. And the Edomites are living up in the mountains and they've built themselves a city. Has anyone ever seen the Transformers movie? I think it's number two where they go to that city that's in the rock wall. Anyone seen that? Everyone else was too spiritual. They were reading their Bible when that came out. I know, I understand. Um, I was told about it by someone, um, but uh, there's a city called Petra, which is basically a city that is carved into the face of the rock, and that's the city, it still exists today, that these guys built back in the day. It was, it's somewhat of a beautiful city. If you look at it, it's amazing. It's an amazing, it's one of the wonders of the world. It's an incredible, incredible city. Um, and so they, they had uh, uh, gone away up into the mountains and made this city for themselves and built something with their own hands that they felt they could be very proud of. Meanwhile, down in the valley was... Virtually their cousins, which were the people of God, which is the children of Israel. And they were down in the valley. And there came a time when the Babylonian Empire came through and destroyed and raped and pillaged and took over and took captives back and and, and basically plundered the people of God. And instead of doing what you would think that your cousin would do when you're in trouble, we see some character traits from the Edomites where they come down from their high place in the mountain and instead of assisting the people of God, they bring a hindrance. They get involved in the violence. They get involved in the pillaging. They come through afterwards and do things. And and there's this whole disconnect of how and why would you do that? Now, I've got a lot of cousins. For those of you who don't know, my mum is one of ten which means I have 64 first cousins on that side of the family. And some of them are wonderful people. And some of them are weirdos, right? But if any of them were in trouble, I would be there to help them. And so I wonder how we get to this place where instead of being an assistance and instead of getting on board with family, we have these people who rather than help out, get on board with, oh, well, you're down, I might as well kick you. I don't understand how we get to that place. And so I guess for me, that was the challenge to examine this principle. I think the idea from us is to read the Bible and to learn from the principles uh, so that we don't repeat mistakes, correct? Uh, It is said that people who don't remember history are destined to repeat the mistakes made. And so for me, as I read the Bible, I want to look at the principles and the things that God is saying in order that I in my own life would not repeat some of the mistakes that have positioned these people to feel the anger and the wrath of a mighty God. I know that we live in the era of grace, but I'm guessing that the things that ticked him off then still tick him off today. And I'm guessing that that's not a place where I want to be and live and do any of that. So if you have your Bibles and you could turn with me to the book of Obadiah, there's 21 verses, there's no chapters, which makes it weird because you go to say chapter, no, verse, yep, cool. The book of Obadiah, and we're going to read uh, primarily uh, on the background that I've set for you from verse 3 and 4 to set this up, and then we're going to get started. You ready? You need to get more vocal this morning. I'm going to need your help. I'm going to need your help. Are you ready this morning? There we go. Verse 3 says, You have been deceived by your own pride because you live in a rock fortress and make your home high in the mountains. Who can ever reach us way up here, you ask boastfully. But even if you soar high as eagles and build your nest among the stars, I will bring you crashing down says the Lord. Okay. Have you know you're about to have a bad day? Things are about to get real now. 
Um, uh, we see an incredible setup here where, where God is declaring through his prophet uh, the cause of this problem that God is having. And I think for us, it sits and fits in this verse three area where it says, you have been deceived by your own pride. Now, I could preach this morning and talk about, you know, uh, selfishness and people would nod and go, yes, yeah, I, yeah it's, I'm, I'm really so, I need to grow, yeah. I, I preached this morning about having, you know, uh, having a wrong estimation of things and all that kind of stuff. But when you mention the word pride, there's a, a tense and a clench that comes into a room, right? If I was to just get up here and say, God wants you to deal with your pride, I just lost half the room. I have no pride. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not a prideful person. I'm quite humble. Just ask me. I'll tell you. And there's a clench that happens in people. There's, there's something about that word pride that's kind of ugly, that none of us really want to own that word. Uh, we're happy to call it other things, and that's okay. But when you call it what it is, uh, warning this morning could be a little bit of amen and ouch, right? It was amen and ouch for me uh, preparing it. So just brace yourself for that. That's why I said I loved you early on, right? So let's not forget the love. <laughs> amen and ouch. Pride. It said here in verse 3, you have been deceived by your own pride. That's the root of the problem that we're talking about here. This is the, this is the causal verse. This is what's brought about the wrath of God is, is beginning with an issue of pride in their heart. The, the dictionary defines pride as a high or inordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit or superiority whether in your thinking or your doing. Even the way you think obviously affects what you do. And I, I, I think if we read the Bible, we see that uh, it's spoken about there are three main areas of temptation that each one of us will face because the Bible talks about Christ being tempted in all points as we were. And those three areas would be the lust of the flesh, I want, I want. We see, Tony talked about the wilderness earlier when uh, the devil came and, and said, to the, said to Jesus, turn these rocks into bread. The lust of the flesh, what I want. The lust of the eyes, what I see. And the pride of life. And I think for us to sit in church and believe that we would not be tempted and tested in this way would actually be the beginning of pride. To believe that if somehow the Son of the living God would come and walk amongst us and He Himself would be forced to pass the test of pride and that somehow we could skate through life never having to deal with this issue would actually in and of itself be one of the more prideful things that we could ever think. In some ways elevating ourselves above God Himself. Well, you know, Jesus had to deal with pride, but not me. When you say it like that, it sounds ridiculous, right? And yet for some of us, our failure to recognize, you know, uh, one of the great things, we had Sam DeMauro come and speak from Hillsong Church. He's the campus pastor from the, the Main Hills campus. And he came and spoke at our staff meeting. And he said this incredible thing. He said, you can't change it until you own it. And the problem with pride is as long as we're pretending it's not there, we can never get a hold of it, a handle on it, change it, bring transformation and change it to that. We have to get a little bit real and start to call it for what it is. It's easy to call it, oh yeah, no, I just, it was my insecurity. It's easy to call it insecurity because everybody's comfortable with insecurity. It's easy to call it a bunch of other things because people are comfortable with that stuff. But when you call it what it is, 
We all know that it's ugly. We all know that it shouldn't be there. And there's something in all of us that doesn't want to admit that there's that kind of ugly going on inside of us. Still love me? Okay. So far, so good. Here we go. The first thing about pride is pride deceives. Verse 3 there, it says, You have been deceived by your own pride. Pride will pull the wool over your eyes. Pride will tell you things that you know aren't true and yet you'll believe them. Pride will tell you things about people around you that you know aren't true and yet you'll buy into the lie. These are people that at one stage had close contact with the people of God. They knew about the people of God. They knew about God's power. They knew that these were God's people and yet they somehow convinced themselves in their own mind that if we build a city up in the rock, we will be unapproachable, unattainable. God Himself, it's a bit like when they built the Titanic, right? They built this boat called the Titanic and the bloke who designed it said, God Himself couldn't sing this boat. Didn't work out that well, did it? Pride deceives. Pride causes you to have an incorrect estimation. Pride causes you to see things that aren't right. Pride causes you to seclude yourself up in the rocks and begin to do things and approach God in a way it says here in verse 4, in verse 3, you've said in your heart and asked boastfully, who can ever reach us way up here? Well, how about the God that created the universe? I reckon he could probably reach there. And yet there's something about pride that blinds us to what's actually going on. God wants us to see clearly. And in order to see clearly, we've got to deal with our pride. Pride deceives. The second thing that pride does is pride distorts. Pride distorts. It distorts. Pride's, pride's a little bit like these sunglasses. Wow. It went really dark in here. My, my perspective completely changed when I put these glasses on. Did you change? Did you all get really, did the lighting guy just dip the lights? No. Everything out here stayed the same. But the glasses, the view through which I accessed this room, because there was a, a cloudiness and a darkness there, everything about the way I perceived this room changed. And pride has the ability to do that to us in life. How do I know this? Let's look uh, from verse 10. We're going to look from verse 10 down to verse 14. It says, uh, this is God justifying why, why he's so angry with the Edomites. Are you ready? Because of the violence you did to your close relatives in Israel, you will be filled with shame and destroyed forever. When they were invaded, you stood aloof, refusing to help them. Foreign invaders carried off their wealth and cast lots to divide up Jerusalem, and you act like one of Israel's enemies. You should not have gloated when they exiled your relatives to a distant land. You should not have rejoiced when the people of Judah suffered such misfortune. You should not have spoken arrogantly in that terrible time of trouble. You should not have plundered the land of Israel when they were suffering such a calamity. You should not have gloated over their destruction when they were suffering such a calamity. You should not have seized their wealth when they were such a, suffering such a calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads, killing those who tried to escape. You should not have captured survivors and handed them over in this terrible time of trouble. How many of you are starting to get a bit of a distaste for the Edomites? Nasty people, right? Starts with violence, 
blocking the way of escape for desperate people who are trying to flee for their lives, taking captives and handing them over to the Babylonians, destroying stuff, going through and plundering and pillaging and taking stuff that didn't belong to them. And we all get high and mighty and quite righteously angry at the fact, how could these people do this to their own family, no less? How could they possibly do this? And yet, whilst I don't believe, and I could be wrong, and this is a whole other altar call, I don't believe any of you are jumping the fence and stealing things from your next door neighbours. I don't believe that you go around to your parents, or I do go around to my parents' place and steal things from the fridge, but I don't know that you're going around and plundering your parents' household and turning them into the authorities for you know being too close to the border and their council land or whatever it is. I don't think we're doing those kind of things. It doesn't quite look like that in this context, but can I, can I contextualize it for you and bring it into the modern day about where our, our view has maybe become a little bit distorted because of our own pride? Is that cool? Pride says it's okay to be violent. The dictionary defines violence as not necessarily a physical violence, but as an intent to hurt or do damage. Or an overly emotional response, a violent emotional response. How many of you would say there have been times in your life where you've allowed yourself to get violently emotional with people around you? That would be pride. How many of you have ever spoken out a word to try and harm or do damage to somebody that you're supposed to be loving? This is never more evident than one of the big evangelists when they fall. And at the moment where the gospel should shine the brightest, it's the church that lays the boots in. At the moment where broken people need the power of a Jesus who forgives and restores, it's the church, the people who should know better, that are calling it out. I I don't have shares in the Hillsong Corporation, but I love Brian Houston. I really do. And I've known him since I was little. And he's always been a man of integrity and a great man of God. But even if he wasn't, It disturbs me greatly when Facebook lights up with all these people who've never done anything in their life to even maybe win one soul. And all they want to do is damage and hurt and accuse and take from somebody who's at least trying to do something to save his generation. Somebody who has had impact over multiple generations. We sit in a church, and I said this in an early service. We might we might not, you know, be violent per se, but there's a few of us that go home from church and have roast pasta for lunch. And I'm talking about P A S T O R. You're slow, but you're worth waiting for. There's a few of us that love nothing better than going home to roast pasta. We're waiting for Tony to stuff up. We're waiting for Kath to make a mistake. You see what she did in the notices today? Well, excuse me. Excuse me. You know, if you could do what they did, you'd already be doing it. And, and I, I don't know, I just kind of feel like maybe you're coming down and robbing your brother or sister when you should be coming down to join the battle. I don't know. And ultimately, it's very easy in the bleachers. I go and watch the Crows play. I see people who couldn't even get the shorts on 
telling people how they should be playing these finely tuned athletes. Everybody's an expert from the armchair. Fundamentally, what we're talking about is a pride issue because you wouldn't open your mouth unless you thought you could do a better job. Newsflash, if you could do a better job, you'd already be doing it. So how about we take the glasses off? Instead of having roast pasta for lunch, instead of slicing and dicing, because God hates it. God hates it. I'd rather go down from serving somebody who had no integrity and maintain mine than sacrifice my integrity to try and point the finger at somebody else and then face the judgment of God myself. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Mm. It's a little violent. Pride, it, it, it says to be, uh, it says here that you were aloof, refusing to help. Pride says it's okay to be indifferent. Pride says it's okay to watch somebody struggle and just watch them struggle. And yet there's something about the gospel that Jesus preached that said, when you see that guy lying on the side of the road, you have to do something about it. Not my problem. It's always good when you see beat up people because it makes you feel good about yourself. Well, at least I'm not as beat up as them. That right there, that's pride. That's what it is. It's ugly. And when you call it and you see it, you're like, man, that's ugly. And when you see it in other people, you think it's ugly. How often do we turn the looking glass inwards and just have a little, little squiz at what's going on here? At maybe, mm, maybe I noticed that because I'm supposed to get involved in that. Maybe, maybe I can see that brokenness because my job is to get in there and do something about it. Or I could just cross to the other side of the road and walk down with my religious snobbery, looking down from my high place in the mountains and, and, and just observing somebody else struggling. Or, or I could arm myself for battle and I could join the fight. It's, it's up to you. But uh, God wasn't real thrilled with the whole standing aloof and not getting involved in people's life. You know what I love about Tone and Kath is they get involved in people's lives. <laughs> he gets flack for it because he wants to be involved. We should be clapping that, that somebody cares enough to get involved. And the thing that stops us is pride, or maybe, I don't know, got real quiet when you say that. It's okay to be indifferent. Pride takes pleasure in the pain of other people. You should not have gloated when they exiled. Gloating, really? Gloating. Your cousin just got carted off, and you're gloating. And we all go, that's offensive. Who would do that? And yet, when Jimmy Swaggart fell, I told you, I knew there was something about that guy. I'm sorry, Mr. Much and Such. Do you know what I'm saying? There's something in us that does this stuff. And we find it so offensive when it's written in black and white. And we think, I would never do that. And yet, when somebody around you makes a mistake, then we find out what you actually would do. As someone who's walked through this at an intimate level, it's very interesting what happens to people when you make big mistakes. But see, in a normal frame of mind, none of, none of us would do any of these things. And this is what pride does. It distorts. 
It changes what is okay. It changes what is acceptable. It changes what should be allowed because we've allowed pride to get into our heart and think that we're bigger than we are, more important than we are, more, uh, more gifted than we are, all that kind of stuff. And we've allowed pride to distort our worldview. I'm going to keep going. Pride takes from people. Now, like I said before, I steal the odd drink from my parents' fridge, but my mum knows. <laughs> she says, you can have whatever you want. So what happens when you get to my age? You go home to mum. And when I was a kid, it was like, no, you can't have that. And I go, mum, can I have this can of drink? She goes, you can have whatever you want, love. Where were you when I was growing up? I see her with my kids and I say to her, who are you and what did you do with my mother? When I was growing up, you were a freaking Nazi. And now you're like, Mother Teresa, I don't know what happened. But I don't know, I don't know that any of you guys are, are, are stealing things from people, but when was the last time you took away somebody's confidence? When was the last time through your criticism or some rumour that you spread, you took away someone's ability to stand up with their head held high and their shoulders back and believe in themselves? Oh, we don't steal material possessions. But we steal other things. We steal people's joy. I don't want to rain on your parade, but I'm going to. I don't want to be the voice of uh, reason in the midst of your dream, but that's exactly what I'm going to do. Have you ever noticed that when people say, I don't want to? What they're about to do is exactly what they didn't want to do. I feel like stopping and going, well, don't. I don't want to. Good, don't. Shush, close your face hole. I don't want to. Good, then don't. Look, I don't, I, I don't want to be the voice of reason. Good, we need the voice of faith. Shut up. I don't want to be offensive, then don't. I don't want to be controversial, then don't. But if you do want to be controversial, be controversial, but please be honest. Pride causes us to take from people. Pride causes you to become an This blows my mind. Pride causes you to become an obstacle to people. They stood in the way while people were fleeing for their lives. Is that disturbing to you? that some refugee with a Babylonian army on his back has got his kid in one arm. He's probably cut and bleeding and he's running for his life and your cousin stands in the way. Takes you captive and turns you over to the enemy. Is that, is that normal behavior? Is that highly offensive? I think that's offensive. I don't know. I'm just saying I think it's offensive. And yet we had a great message preached here Sunday night that Tone talked about. And we talked about love and light. And you know what? There's going to be people, broken people that come through the back doors of this church. And they're running for their lives. And they're running from issues in their sexuality. And they're running from issues in their brokenness. And us in our pride could just as easily be an obstacle to them as we could be a blessing. How many times you look down your nose from your high perch and your rock city at somebody who comes in here with obvious brokenness? Just step wide. Give them the holy down-the-nose look. At least I'm not like them. That right there, 
and it's pride. That's, that's the spirit of the Pharisee that looks over at the woman giving. Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like those people. It's on the nose. It's on the nose. And when we talk about it in a, a context of a story like this, we all go, yeah, that's horrible. That's, who would do that? That's, that's ugly. And yet, as we begin to preach more on these things, there's more and more broken people that are going to come into this church. So now it's on you. You can look down your nose at a broken person who walks through the door. What if they come in smelly? What if they come in dirty? What if they come in still drunk from the night before? <gasps> Horrible. Get out of it. There's no room for that kind of pride. But for the grace of God, go I. Verse 14 says, You should not have stood at the crossroads killing those who tried to escape. You should have captured the survivors and handed them over. You shouldn't have captured the survivors and handed them over in their terrible time of trouble. Pride, pride causes you to partner with the wrong people. Why would you align your... The media has a go at the church and half the church aligns themselves. Yeah, well, I've been thinking that for a while. Oh, sorry, you've got, you got pride in your heart. You're, you're aligning yourself with the wrong people. You should be... And I'm not talking about blind loyalty here. We own the issues. We deal with the issues. That's cool. But at the end of the day, there should be no question in your mind as to which side I'm on. I'm on the side of right. I'm on the side of good. I'm on the side of the family. I'll fight for the family. I, I agree that if there's legal things that need to be dealt with and if there's, there's stuff that needs to be brought to light, it should be brought to light. But one of the things I love about this church, and it happened early on when I was first joined the church, was I watched Tony get up here and deal with the situation. And one of the things he said stuck with me, and he said this, at this point, in time where brokenness exists is the point in time where the gospel matters and means something. If it's ever of value, it's of value now. And I think sometimes we forget, just like the Edomites, we've distanced ourselves to the point where we've forgotten the fact that we used to be down there in the valley too. And it was God Himself who taught, pulled us out of our mess and muck and brought restoration lest we should boast and what? Get prideful of ourselves that somehow we dragged ourselves out of the mud. It was God Himself who dragged us up out of our own mess. And we get all clean and we get all holy and we think somehow we forget where we came from and who brought us out. The gospel means anything. It means something when we're broken. The third thing that pride does is it destroys. Ultimately, it brought about the judgment of God and that nation was completely destroyed. It destroys things. It'll destroy your generations. It wasn't just one generation that was then affected. There was kids and grandkids. The whole nation was completely wiped out and destroyed because of pride. Understand your pride will cost you something for sure. But it'll cost your family something too. It'll cost your generation something too. You've got to deal with your pride. I've got to deal with my pride. So how do we deal with pride? Well, see, pride is easily undone. It's a choice. You just choice, choose to put yourself in a different mindset. There's a, diff there's a difference between humility and humiliation. You know what the difference is? Who does the humbling? 
Humiliation is what you do to me. Humbling is what I do to myself. I want to be part of a church that chooses the road of humility rather than the end game of humiliation. God says, the Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 6, it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We just sang about covered by his grace. I need that grace. So I can't afford to be arrogant. I can't afford to be prideful. I've got to deal with all this stuff in my life because I so desperately need that grace. I need to be covered by his grace. So I have to choose humility. There's no option. I have to choose a humility that is the difference to other people. I have to choose humility that says it's not okay to be violent. I need to be constructive and build with my words. It's not okay to be indifferent to the plight of broken people. I have to get involved. That's my humility. Uh, I, have to, I have to help and minister to the pain of other people rather than taking joy and some kind of pleasure. Except for Funniest Home Videos. You're allowed to enjoy that. When people fall down, it is always funny. I'm just saying. <laughs> Humility gives to people where pride would take from people. Humility makes a way for people instead of becoming an obstacle to people. Humility causes you to partner with the right people. Oh God, we want humility. We, we want to walk humbly with you, God. That, that's what we want. We, we want to live in that place where we don't allow ourselves to be deceived, distorted, or destroyed by a spirit of pride. I'm nearly finished, but I wanted to look a little bit deeper. Who are the Edomites? In Genesis, there's a story of two brothers Genesis 27, Jacob and Esau. Esau's name means red stuff. He has a red head. All the orangans represent. You might not want to be in his family after this, though, if I'm honest. <laughs> Esau. And Esau was impulsive and he was emotional. And he, uh, he came home from hunting one day and he was hungry. He's a bit of a drama queen. If I don't eat, I'm going to die. And his brother was sneaky. Because little brothers are always sneaky. And he said, I'll sell you a bowl of soup for your birthright. And so Esau traded away his birthright and the blessing of God for a bowl of lentil soup. I'm not even into lentils, but lentil soup, you're kidding me. He sold his birthright for lentil soup. And I can imagine after he's finished being hungry, regret kicks in like that, right? And he thought to himself, I'm going to get it back anyway. I'm going to, you know, I'll... Dad won't bless him, and yet Jacob was tricky, so he, he got the job done, he got the blessing, and then he ran for his life because he's thinking, my big brother's going to kill me. And there was fracturing in the family. And at some point, they sort of mended the fences a little bit, but there was stuff that was unsaid and undone. And over generations, it created a distance between the families, which ended up with someone in the mountains and someone in the valley. And the Edomites were the descendants of Esau. And the people of God, the Israelites, were the descendants of Jacob. They were family. And I feel like maybe pride started all the way back then. You've embarrassed me. You've made me look like a fool. And there was unresolved issues because of the pride there. So I feel like the, the caution, I'm going to pretend to be a modern day prophet. I feel like the cautionary tale for us is twofold. Firstly, walk humbly with God. 
And secondly, don't leave unresolved things in the family. Because if you leave unresolved things in the family, it'll bring your generations undone in the long run. Matthew 18 says, if your brother offends you, go to him and have a conversation. If you don't get the resolve that you feel is the right resolve, then you take someone with you. And then if you don't get the resolve out of that, you take somebody from the leadership of the church and you go and have that meeting and you try and bring resolve. Too many people want to talk to everybody else about who they're offended with and ticked off with and who's upset me and they've never actually spoken to the person. And those kind of issues leave stuff undone. Stuff that then we trip over. Stuff that then becomes an obstacle for the generations. There's beef there, but I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is. I just know it's there. I'm carrying generational beef. I'm not sure why. Mmm, beef. Sorry, I'm thinking about lunch. (laughs) There's stuff that's long-standing. And maybe you're in this room this morning and you've got issues with people that you haven't dealt with. The reason why you haven't dealt with it, sorry to be so blunt, is pride. It's pride. The Bible says, as much as is possible, live at peace with all men. It's pride. I'm, I'm worried that they'll reject me and that'll make me look bad. I don't want to be the first one to go and apologize. I didn't really do anything wrong. That, that's pride. It's all pride. God hates pride. He resists. That word resist, God resists the proud. That word resist means does battle with. That is not a fight you want to pick. You're talking about the God of the universe who spoke it all into being with the word. And now he wants to fight you. You're about to have a bad day. A real bad day. When I was at school, I used to pick fights with people where I could win, right? Size him up. He's about my height. I could take him. I wasn't picking fights with people that were bigger than me. Because that's just stupid. And yet as long as we hang on to our pride, we're picking fights with people that we can't win. Humble yourself. It's much better to humble yourself than have somebody else do it for you. Humility feels good. Humiliation, not so much. This is not a fight you can win. And the sooner you resolve the issue in your heart and deal with our pride goggles, the sooner you can see the world like it actually is. The sooner you can find the purpose of God for what He's doing in and around you and get on with it. Stop playing games. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.